Let's locate in our Bibles this morning the New Testament book of Titus, letter to Titus. New Testament letter to Titus in your New Testament part of your Bibles. And we're going to read in just a moment from chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Titus chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And we'll stop there just for the moment. Let's pray and commit this to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be merciful and gracious to us now as we um, study your word together. As we spend this time together, may we listen not as to the words of men, but as to the words of God. Yes, through your appointed servants. In this case, the Apostle Paul writing to Titus and um, uh, that being explained, illustrated, implied by me, um, your servant. We pray, Lord, that you would make us all attentive to this text, and as we begin to study uh, the things that it speaks of, we pray that we would be alert and expectant for all that lies ahead. Work in us, we ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit, for we cannot change ourselves um, in our own strength. We ask, Lord, that you would work all your will and good pleasure in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ideas worth spreading. Are you familiar with that strapline? Ideas worth spreading. It's the, um, uh, my, if I were to tell you about TED Talks or TED Conferences, would you be familiar with those? So the strapline of TED Conferences, LLC, is ideas worth spreading. It's on all of their videos. It's on all of their, their website. Um, so have a look. If you're there, you'll, you'll see it. Ideas worth spreading. And TED Talks has been around since the 1980s. Every year since 1990, there has been a TED conference. TED is not a person. There is nothing uniquely authoritative about TED, or um, uh, some, uh, this is not a conference that brings the 
Ted's of the world together. Uh, rather, this uh, is, uh, uh, stands for technology, entertainment, and design. And yet, uh, though that seems very specific, it covers a vast range of topics. Some will say that there is virtually no topic that is left unaddressed by TED Talks or TED Conferences. Uh, they cover these topics in over 100 languages around the world. With the rise of the internet, YouTube, and social media, these talks have enjoyed ever-increasing reach, particularly since 2006, when the talks became readily available online for free, opening up a, a great resource for people who are interested in that sort of thing. Most of us probably began to encounter TED Talks around that time or shortly thereafter. Now, Titus 2, which we just read a portion of, is not less than ideas worth spreading. But it is more than ideas worth spreading. Perhaps we might say it is ideals worth spreading. But as I think about it, even that seems a bit weak. Paul is not saying, after all, that ideally you would believe these things and ideally you would have a certain kind of character. He is not saying in an ideal world... Gospel people will be unique and distinct. Where, where Christ is proclaimed and professed, Christ's likeness must be practiced. So, so this is not just an ideal, but it, it's not right to say either that it's, it's, it's a law. Because when we say he must be proclaimed and professed and he, Christ's likeness must be practiced, then... Some people say, oh, that's law, and we believe in the gospel. It would only be law if we had the order wrong. Starting with Christ's likeness to get to Christ. That's law. If you start with, what was Jesus like, and let me be like Jesus, and that way I will get closer to Him, that is law. Gospel is starting with Christ, and part of the good news is the outflow of being loved by Christ and loving Christ is looking more and more like Christ. How is it good news if you are unchanged? How is it good news if the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done set, forgives you of your sins and sets you free from the consequences of your sins, but you just go on living a sinful all life? So we have to look at the right order of things. Christ's likeness does not lead us to Christ. That's law. But Christ leads us to Christ's likeness. That is gospel. This is not concocted mystically, nor is it stumbled upon accidentally. It is both the natural fruit and the deliberate pursuit of the one who is trusting in Jesus to save. It is arrived at not incidentally, it is arrived at intentionally through the deliberate pursuit and the intentional ministry of Christian discipleship. If we are to be successful in our pursuit of gospel identity on a godless island, which is what Titus is all about, 
then we must commit ourselves to the, the kind of ministry that is depicted in this text. It is real, it is everyday, it is practical, it speaks to real needs, real life situations, and it does so with the unchanging character of God and the ever-present power of the Holy Spirit through the good news of Jesus who saves. If Jesus Christ has saved us, we know that we have the Holy Spirit to sustain us. And if the Holy Spirit sustains us, we know that He is sustaining us in the holiness without which we will not see the Lord. Now I mentioned TED Talks a moment ago, not just because it claims to be ideas worth spreading, and I believe that this passage is not less than ideas worth spreading, but um, uh, we, we have something better than ideas to spread. Rather, I mention it as a memory device. I want you to remember what I'm about to say. This is my TED Talk for local church gospel ministry in pursuit of Christ-likeness. And for the purposes today, we're going to be speaking of TED, that is, first of all, T, teaching ministry. If we would have unique and distinct gospel identity on this godless island, we must sustain a healthy teaching ministry. That is, that is something that communicates the Word of God. Something that communicates the doctrine of Jesus Christ. To start with, notice verse 1. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. I'm not sure about you. I guess it depends on the various people you come across and circles you mingle with. If, if particularly, um, like me, you seek to be not in an echo chamber, but to hear different ideas and to pay attention what, to what other people you may disagree with are saying, there is a tendency among some to diminish the significance of sound doctrine. What is doctrine anyway? There are some people who say, oh, I, don't, I don't buy into all of this this doctrine. I don't, I don't come to church to, you know, to, to get an earful of doctrine. And, and they'll say things that they don't realize are actually doctrinal. Because what is doctrine? Doctrine is simply teaching, a statement of belief, an expect, of expectation even, a doctrine can be sound or unsound. Doctrine is the truth about God and us and the world in which we live. And people will, will very casually at times say, oh, I'm not into all of this doctrine. But doctrine is essential for church identity. You need to know what you have believed. The songs that we sing, they're all doctrine. They're all telling us, they're all teaching us about God, about His character and about His nature, about our need for Him. What is the Word of God if it's not doctrine? Now perhaps what some people are saying is, is they, they don't want to go to a place and hear a bunch of abstract stuff that is 
communicated at some higher academic level that is for them inaccessible and they can't understand it and they can't grasp it and it's not illustrated in a way that they can understand and it's not applied to their everyday life. But they should just say that. Because doctrine is given by God and it is impossible to be a Christian without having some doctrine. Because to be a Christian is to believe in Jesus Christ and who He is and what He did and what that means for us. And that is doctrine. Do you believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? That's doctrine. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God, the Eternal Son, incarnate? That's doctrine. Do you believe that He was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day and lives forever interceding at the right hand of God praying for you because you keep sinning and you don't have a hope apart from Jesus? That's doctrine. You don't have hope. You don't have help apart from doctrine. Everything that we believe is doctrine. Everything that we sing is doctrine. And we have to make sure that what we are preaching and what we're singing and what we're doing is sound doctrine. Now, he says teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's interesting. He actually does not say teach sound doctrine. That is not to say that he doesn't believe we should teach sound doctrine. Teaching sound doctrine is implicit. It's understood at the bare minimum. This person ought to be opening the Bible, explaining, illustrating, and applying it. This person ought to be communicating the truth about God and us. But he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is explicit in this text is teach what accords with sound doctrine. That is, if you go down in the text where we concluded earlier, look at, look at verse 10. Talking about bondservants, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Okay, so the doctrine of God, our Savior is beautiful. The doctrine of God, our Savior is the message of how we are saved. Nothing can properly speaking be added to the gospel of God our Savior. But the pursuit of Christ's likeness is not about addition to the gospel of God our Savior, to the doctrine of God our Savior. The pursuit of Christ's likeness is about not addition, but adornment. It's not the meat, but it is the sauce. It's not the song, but it is the accompaniment. It is not the body, it is the dress. It is not, hear me clearly on this, it is not the Christian's justification, their right relationship with God. It is the Christian's vindication. They actually do have a right relationship with God and that is shown in righteous living. Teach, he says, what accords with sound doctrine. It is 
understood, it is assumed that this person that Titus, that Paul, sorry, has left on Crete, Titus, is preaching sound doctrine. He's teaching it. But he must also teach what accords with sound doctrine, what follows sound doctrine, what is the application of sound doctrine. So we have to make clear application. And that clear application has to be more than simply look at Christ. We have to talk about sins that need putting away. We, we have to talk about good disciplines that need taking up. We have to talk about things in our culture or cultures that are contradictory to Christ. And we have to talk about things in Christ that speak rebukingly or redemptively to our cultures. We have to say on the one hand, God doesn't want your sacrifices and rituals for salvation because Jesus paid it all. And on the other hand, the sacrifices God not only desires, but that He demands are to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Now I've heard before that the purpose of the commands of the New Testament are always so that we will see our inadequacy and inability to keep them and so look to Christ and know the freedom of His forgiveness and that any other approach to the commands of the New Testament is not Christ-centered. How about this instead? Maybe, just maybe, when the Apostle says more or less, stop sleeping around, stop you know, abusing your husband, wife, or kids, stop robbing your employer, stop exploiting your employees, might He not mean for us to actually stop it? And, and then... That stopping is part of what it means to be truly Christ-centered. We're looking at Christ and we see, I can't carry on this way. We're looking at Christ so our eyes are enraptured by Him, His beauty and His glory and the perfection of His holiness. And yes, we see how unlike Him we are, but we're not going back because Jesus is more. Of course, that... Being Christ-centered means more than just stopping stuff. Pursuing Christ-likeness is more than just stopping stuff. You also have to start other stuff, as the text demonstrates. And so the, the text actually is, is talking about very positive things that Titus should be teaching that accord with sound doctrine. Husbands, how you treat your wives. Wives, how you treat your husbands. Men, just how you are in yourself as men. Women, how you are yourselves as women. Um, uh, the, the workplace relationships that we have. How we do our work. All of that is in this text. Now, Some of you are thinking, okay, Ryan's going to, to get to talking about the, the men today. The women are thinking that. And the men are thinking, Ryan's going to start talking about the, the women today. And, um, and no one's... No one's looking for what I have to say about employees, um, but we, that's not going to happen today. So, um, uh, guys, please be around next Sunday. Uh, not not going to you know, be overly obvious, but 
you know, I do have a word specifically of encouragement for you. And um, I might not do it the first Sunday I'm back from sabbatical, but um, uh, we will have a sermon just for the ladies as well. And uh, we will benefit from this. We need to hear this today. Why? Because it's the Word of God. It accords with sound doctrine. We can talk and talk and talk as we do about all that God is and all that Jesus has done. But we also have to talk about what that means. Who, who are you? We talk about gospel identity a lot. Who are you is seen in what you do. Or am I misremembering my parents telling me when I would leave the house, remember who you are, and knowing that that would shape what I did and what I did not do when I was gone? Who are you? Are you a follower of Christ? Then do you look like, like a follower of Christ would be expected to look? You know, the interesting thing is, even in our world that has rejected Jesus, even in, in our culture that has, has uh, rabidly secularized itself, there is an expectation of what Christians should and should not do. And uh, they might, you, you might not think they're listening or watching when you're talking about who Jesus is. And you might get that rejection when you're telling people about the gospel, but you better believe that you'll get that rejection when you do something that contradicts the message that you profess. Because they definitely see and hear that. And they know it's out of step. And, and, and the problem is, is not the message. The problem is you. But they will make you into a problem with the message. And that must be avoided. How is it avoided? Well, in no small part, through teaching ministry, we, we prioritize in our gatherings some teaching component so that people are instructed in the Word of God. And that might take various forms. That might be on a, a Sunday gathering when we have in the, the morning a message generally from a book of Scripture, but not always. Sometimes there will be a just a standalone text that's explained and applied to a particular area of our lives. Maybe it's things like we're going to do this, this evening, this afternoon at 5. Instead of the normal um, uh, uh, preaching and teaching component, we're going to have a Q&A session. It's been a long time since we've done that. And people have lots of questions. And they want a forum in which they can openly ask those questions and um, uh, we can, we can talk together about what the, the Bible teaches in response to those questions that we have. Or maybe it's the small groups where we sit together around a table and we have food and we, we, um, uh, we, we enjoy conversation. And as we, we talk with each other about the Bible, we are teaching each other. Or perhaps it's things like we did with the, the young teens and the preteens a couple of weeks ago where we, we cram a seven-week course into three days and we walk through the Gospel of Mark with them. And we, we, there wasn't much flashy. There, you know, I like fun and games, but I'm not the guy to plan them. So we literally just sat around and we talked about Jesus. Teaching. 
we teach and what we sing. The, the Apostle Paul says that. That we, we teach one another as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why do we, why do we have all of the readings? Well, I, I once read in a book a man who actually uh, left his um, Reformed Evangelical Church uh, and became a, a, a Roman Catholic apologist because he, he was like, they, they read more scripture in their services. Well, I thought that was sad because at the heart of the Reformation was, was it not the authority of scripture? And yet you will go to many churches and there won't be anything beyond what the preacher reads at the beginning. And I, I was challenged by that. If we believe in the authority of scripture... And then also I was a bit irritated by, by, by someone quibbling with a song that was perfectly scriptural. It was literally quoting scripture. They just didn't like it. Um, so um, I, I thought, well, we'll have scripture passages before the songs. So they know, oh, wow, this song is literally based on scripture. What do you expect in church life? Well, people have been burned and they're detoxing a lot. And so there's, uh, there can be a lack of trust. Hopefully that helps. It's in the Bible, and we're singing it now so that it gets ingrained in our heads. Teaching. Teaching ministry. It's important. It's vital. But I, I did say uh, um, TED, didn't I? T-E-D. What's the second thing? Teaching ministry. Every member ministry. Every member ministry. Titus is told to teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is not just the job for the pastor or elders. Do remember, at this point, it is actually not clear that Titus is himself an elder. In fact, it's clear, if anything, that he's not. Because there are multiple churches across the island of Crete, which is, was a, and is still, bears the remnants, of a fairly heavily urbanized island with multiple cities and a relatively small space in the grand scheme of things. And all of these cities, all of these towns have churches. Maybe not all of them, but quite a few of them do. And they don't have elders. Titus' role is more removed from being a pastor and an elder. He is an apostolic representative. He is an evangelist. His job is to make sure that the churches appoint elders. Maybe church history tells us that at some point he himself became an elder, but Crete is not a city. It's an island. And, and he didn't oversee this whole island. Rather, he represented the ministry of the Apostle Paul going there to these places, helping the churches identify and equip spiritually qualified, personally capable individuals for gospel ministry. And so Titus is as any of these people in Scripture would have been, a part of a local church. But he is helping the churches to do what they must for healthy formation. He's tasked with identifying and equipping elders. Of course, those elders are also supposed to teach. So Titus, not an elder, teaching. The elders, they're supposed to teach. That's a qualification. They must be able to teach. And they must be able to properly steward the Word of God. But those they teach are supposed to teach as well. Nowhere in the New Testament do we have this, this, this divide when it comes to teaching where there's only one person in the church who can teach. 
there's a, a time and there's a place and there's a way in which teaching can and can't be done ought, and ought not be done. But what Paul is teaching in this passage indicates a culture of instruction in the church. Notice that. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Now, these aren't the elders in the sense of pastoral overseers of the church, but they are the elders in the sense of these are the mature individuals in the community. Men and women who are under the oversight of the pastors of the church, but are communicating what accords with sound doctrine. It would seem older men to younger men, and definitely explicit in the text, older women to younger women. They are to teach what is good. And that is not different from what accords with sound doctrine. And it's very practical stuff that they're teaching. They're coming alongside, telling them how, you know, the young men how to be a man. The young women how to be a woman. And particularly, there was, there was a problem we'll talk about when we get there, that the women of Crete just in general were dealing with at that time as far as uh, various philosophies and ways of life that they were pursuing that were being quite disruptive to the family unit. And... Being distinct, having a distinct gospel identity in this godless island, they were supposed to, to be living a certain kind of way, and they weren't. They were looking a lot more like the norms of their culture. The same could be said for the men in different ways. And they're to be helped. They're to be instructed in how to live and how not to live. Do, do we understand that? Even today, how urgent and important this is? But it's a problem because it's happened even in this room where an older saint, maybe not necessarily in age, sometimes it could be just maturity, comes alongside a younger person who is immature and gently tries to help them or encourage them and it's not received well. There are also times where, because the scriptures do not attribute wisdom to age. There is such a thing biblically as an old fool. Sorry. There are times when you have younger people who know the Lord and have walked with the Lord for some time and are really seeking to order their lives by the Scriptures when they have tried to come alongside older in age but younger spiritually people and have been stridently rebuffed. It's actually... Our local church having a fairly substantial middle age and younger um, sort of demographic, it's one of the hardest groups to, greet, to, 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 to reach in our community. Older people, middle-aged middle and up, who don't want to hear anything or be told anything, and they certainly don't want to be taught by someone who may be more spiritually mature, but is younger than them in age. Are we understanding these dynamics? These are very real. They've, they're very disruptive to local churches today, every bit as much as they were then. And so 
we, we need to have a healthy culture where we can talk with each other. Where there's not, as I have seen in congregations I have had the displeasure of preaching at, where there is a corner where all the old folks sit. And they're all there. And then there's everyone else. Or, as the case may be, a corner where all the young folks sit. And it's almost like they're chomping at the bit to escape eventually. And all the older ones. But there's a line, there's a divide, and there's no interaction, and there's no cross-pollination, and there's no caring for one another or loving one another. And there is this toxic culture of suspicion. And sometimes weird paranoia. There was a time 13 years ago when I was just starting in pastoral ministry here um, as uh, your assistant pastor. And there was a, a, a young man who was not even 20 yet who anxiously was telling me that we were all getting older. And he was fretting about just, you know, how the congregation is really getting old, really getting older and... I've never understood that. I have flashbacks to that conversation many times. And I said, even if they are, you're not exempt. You are too. What are you doing to invest in the younger ones? Finding the younger ones. This is life. It's cyclical. There will be seasons when we're older and seasons when we're younger. And the Bible's not obsessed about it. What it wants us to do is to, what? Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Every one of you can do that, ought to be able to do that. If you've heard, if you've believed, pass it on. We have better than ideas worth spreading. It's important that we, all of us, commit ourselves to this. Some people I know are skeptical of the idea of church membership. That often has to do with their bad experiences or ways in which they've seen this wrongly done. But again, we don't reject the message of the gospel because someone's been hypocritical. Nor do we reject New Testament church structures simply because they've been abused or mis misused or meaningless. When we speak of every member ministry, we're encouraging meaningful membership. That is, that you're actually... Like part of the family. That we, we walk together. We, we spend time together. We enjoy each other. And we communicate with each other. And sometimes someone, someone, because we're people and because we're family, someone says something that rubs someone else the wrong way. And the other person talks it through. Instead of getting up in arms and leaving. It, it, that attitude... That we can just drop people? Maybe it is how our families work sometimes. Maybe we are that dysfunctional. But in gospel identity, we ought to be different. Romans chapter 12. Why don't you turn there? Let's give, give you a bit of exercise. Romans, Romans 12, 4 through 5. If you're in doubt about this concept... Hear these words. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So how has God gifted you? One thing that you say, I'm not a gifted teacher. No one's asking you to come up and stand here. But can you communicate the word of the Lord to the person sat next to you? Can you, as we were talking about in prayer meeting on Thursday night, can you recall the, the wondrous deeds of the Lord and pass them on to the next generation? You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Still not persuaded. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 should, should answer your concerns. Verse 12. You could later read the whole chapter for full effect. But verse 12, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one body we were all baptized in... To, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And there follows a series of similar examples of... Um, uh, Various parts of our body taking on their own unique personality and communicating with each other in a way that is either dismissive or affirming to illustrate the point. We're one body, many members, and we all have functions in the life of the church. So find your function and use it. Identify your gifting and use it for the glory of God. Still not persuaded? There's more. We could go to Ephesians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Again, you could read all of chapter 4 um, uh, later, but look at verses 15 through 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined, different members joined, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, another word for member, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is good news. Because we're not on our own. We're not isolated. Every member ministry. Third thing. What's the first one? T. Teaching ministry. What's the second one? E. Every member. Every member ministries. You do remember. It works. D. Differentiated ministry. Differentiated ministry. It's slightly different. More complicated word. But it's important. It's good. Dif to, to say differentiated ministry is to say there's some specific stuff that you need to say to specific groups within the people, within the congregation. If we have a men's conference or a men's Bible study, is it helpful for me to talk to the guys about how they can be better wives? Everyone's laughing. There are... We'll cross that bridge when we get there, but there are, um, 
conversations in public discourse that would, would, would say, I don't see the problem. They do see the problem. They're just sort of acting for the cameras. No. The men need to hear how to be men. The women need to hear how to be women. We all need to hear about the Word of God. And there may be unique, specific applications for that in our lives. Sometimes it might just be straight Scripture, but that's fine. If the men are together getting to know the Lord, and the women are together getting to know the Lord, and what that means, and, and, and someone is taking the children and young people and getting them together and teaching them so that they know the Lord, it's good, it's right. You don't start teaching, um, you know, you're, you're, we have young children, you don't start teaching them by, by giving them a copy of Tolstoy, War and Peace. They may or may not get there in their whole life. You start with C-Spot Run. Maybe something even less than that. A, B, C. A is for Apple. You know, B is for Book. And you just break it down at a manageable le level. You don't start with a textbook that has all like like a language. You don't go to one of the language learning shops and get. Oh, I'm going to get something so that my child can learn English. You get alphabet letters, magnets or something, so that the little toddler can be putting them on the fridge, learning their ABCs. There's silly songs that you sing. So my, I use a silly outline today so that you'll remember it. There's silly songs that you sing so that they know. And there are others. Tell me I'm wrong. A few weeks ago, we sang Jesus Loves Me, all of us. And the adults sang it louder than anyone. They sang it with their chest. Why? Because now we really know what it means. Some things might be wasted on the youth. But not really. It's that cumulative effect. Something we knew, something we learned, something that we took for granted, it comes into its full-orbed understanding and beauty as we mature and grow up into the head. Differentiated ministry. You're saying, oh, I, don't, I don't know how you get that. You can't honestly have been paying attention to the text and be questioning how we got to differentiated ministry. Because he talks to Titus, teach sound doctrine, or what accords with sound doctrine. And then he talks about older men. And then he talks about Older women. And then he talks about young women. And then he talks about young men. And then he talks about uh, you yourself, the one who's, who's doing the teaching and the leading, because you're not exempt. And then he talks about bond servants and the, in, in their uh, cultural context, the, the uh, equivalent of a sort of an employee-employer sort of relationship. So all of this, Different people, different applications. They need someone to come alongside them sometimes and give them a specific word from the Lord. Do we understand that? The importance of that? There should be time. There should be space. Of course, we should prioritize the gatherings of all of God's people together in one place. Absolutely. But if we have an opportunity as we had for the, the um, teens and the preteens a couple of weeks ago. That wasn't violating biblical principle. That was fulfilling it. That was bringing to bear some, some pastoral ministry specifically tailored to that group.
so that they are invested in and nurtured and fed spiritually. Of course, we can, we can all say the parents ought to be doing that at home. Some people do that. They don't believe in any differentiated ministry, at least when it comes to the younger people, because the parents should be doing that at home. One, it assumes the parents are doing that at home. Two, it underestimates the uh, family dynamics where children might not be as communicative with their parents in some things, especially about things that they perceive in themselves to be deeply personal, which spiritual things are. And so there is that, that space, is there not, for those especially, not least, that God has appointed as leaders within the church to invest in such people. You know, God has given the church pastors and teachers and evangelists and people to lead in certain ways. And if they can serve you, the gathered church, in assisting you with your marriage, in assisting you with your parenting, in assisting you with your children. And why does it always have to be stuff related to, to um, you know, families and children and all of that? Assisting you in your singleness, encouraging you and affirming you in that. May the Lord be glorified in differentiated ministry. We need to hear the word of the Lord explained, illustrated, and applied specifically to where we stand. I hope that makes sense. We see in the passage men and women, old and young, church members as well as those who lead them and those who are at least momentarily bound to some form of service. Differentiated ministry should be naturally done, but I do believe that there, there should be time, space, and place for intentional ministry to different categories of people in the life of the church. This requires all hands on deck. And so it brings us back to every member ministry. Not, not necessarily all hands on deck at the same time, but eventually there should be that sense, that pattern of we all get around to it. it, it, it come, that responsibility comes around to us at some point so that the load is shared and that no one is overburdened or burning out. There's plenty to do. Enough that there is something... For everyone. Why? What's this all about? We didn't read the whole chapter earlier, but as I conclude, I would like to read it. The rest of the chapter. Or at least this, this strong bit at the, the heart of it. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. What is that? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That is sound doctrine. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. What is that? That is what accords with sound doctrine. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. What is that? 
Are we focused, guys? What is that? That is sound doctrine. Who are people for his own possession who are what? Zealous for good works. What is that? That is what accords with sound doctrine. Teach it, all of you, to everyone, whatever their age or stage, together in mixed groups or individually or in age-specific or gender-specific or whatever you want to call it, groups. And by so doing, we build each other up. We work properly. We nourish one another. And so we maintain our unique and distinctive gospel identity on a godless island. Let's pray. Great God and most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it, it tells us exactly what we must do. And it tells us how to do it. Help us in the weeks ahead as we break down this passage further and as we look at all that, that, um, that You have uh, guided us to do and guided us to, to be as a local church through Your Word. Please help us in this. Help us to, to prosper in this ministry by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.